Welcome to the Resilient and Resourced Podcast, where you'll hear conversations with regular but strong-hearted people who explore resilience and discuss the role of resources and connections in their lives. I'm your host, Annette Adams, and on today's episode, Dr. Barbara Ward shares with me her experiences of resilience through a life filled with challenges and triumphs. And she does it with such clarity and insight, from single parenting, to running the Boston Marathon, to defending her PhD. She's had plenty of opportunities to lean into difficult times and to learn from them. Keenly aware of her privilege, Barb is a grounded source of wisdom and encouragement for those looking for resilience within themselves and from external resources. So let's get right to the conversation and prepare to be inspired. I'm very happy to welcome Barb to the podcast today. Thanks for being here, Barb. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Danette. So I'd like to dive right in and ask you about your relationship to resilience. So this could be historically, this could be the work you're doing now. What do you want to tell me about resilience and youth? Yeah, so I talk a lot about resilience when it comes to children and youth and parents and adults. Uh, in my work, I've been in the social work field for 30 years and, you know, dealt with resiliency a lot, but no one's ever asked me about, uh, you know, my childhood or more personally, my experience res- with resiliency. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting to reflect from that perspective. Um, and I'm in my 50s now. And so the era I grew up in and the family culture I grew up in, um, you know, it, resiliency was just... Um, whether it was there or not, it, it just wasn't an option to um, to not have it or, or come from that perspective. Like it wasn't an option to quit. It wasn't an option to complain about something. It, and if you did, it didn't make a difference, <laughs> right? Um, and I, yeah, yeah. And I had four siblings um, and it was kind of a fend for yourself thing. Um, and definitely... Um, a lot of independence in how we lived our lives um, as as kids, you know, outside playing, we'd be outside all day, come in for lunch, and we'd be with neighborhood kids and stuff like that. So I connect that to how I am now today, and about my resiliency, because it really gave me a lot of um, the ability to like push through with things and, and not really reflect a whole lot on um, how terrible something might feel or how hard it is. You kind of just push through. Now there's down, downsides to that as well. Um, but, and then, and then personally as well, um, I was married at age 19. Uh, and then um, that marriage ended when I had a two-year-old after 15 years. Um, and I was so grateful that I had the resources and supports at that time to move forward in a healthy way. I was a single mom and loved it and thrived, um, thrived throughout that. You knew me uh, for, for part of my life as a single mom, Danette. And, um, yes. and yeah, I felt like, yeah, yeah, it was easier for me to be a single mom um, than to be married. Um, and That's then, interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think a lot of people would say that, um, but it definitely fit for me. And so, again, it made you it made me feel very strong and really resilient to be able to um, 
to thrive in that situation and really kind of come into myself um, through that situation. And then, of course, being single, I would have uh, I would do some dating and have some relationships. And uh, th- some of those relationships, well, a lot of them uh, up until one now <laughs> didn't work out. Um, but what I my approach to that is as much as some things hurt or there was a loss or rejection or the oh my god now I got to start all over again, um, I always treasured what I learned from that person and that relationship. There was always something so essential that I felt I took away and I didn't see it as a mistake. I didn't see it as a failure. It was just things that I learned about myself or even things that I, that, um, you know, new things I was exposed to, new foods, new activities, new, uh, new places in the world. And so I've always treasured that. And again, I think that builds resiliency, right? It, you're not stewing in negativity and in regrets. So I think that makes a really big difference. And now I'm in a, um, a relationship where we're very well suited for each other. We've been together for over seven years. Um, and it feels like all the important things are there for me. Like it's all kind of, everything had to happen to come to this, right? Is, is how it feels. Yeah. Right. So all those experiences in your past were, were informing what's happening now to make you yeah. more resilient. Yeah. And then there were a couple other things. Um, You know, I've always identified as a runner and I've been running for over 40 years. I started quite young and I think running builds resiliency as well. So I had this kind of personal relationship with resiliency through my running and it's still it's still going on. And sometimes it's it's testing me more and more these days. And we can get into that a bit more later. Um, But there's this this internal messaging that you have to manage when you're a runner um, about when to stop because of an injury or because you're tired and listening to your body and when to push through. Because if you never ran when it hurt, you'd probably never run, <laughs> you know, like it, it doesn't always feel good. It, it, there is some effort and involved, but it shouldn't hurt, hurt. Um, so I think that running provided a mechanism um, to help me process adverse events in my life and adverse emotions um, just through the, that act of running, but it also helped me to celebrate um, and release positive emotions too, right? So it became a way for me to basically deal with life <laughs> pretty much. And that's amazing. You're leaning on your body's wisdom. So you talked about the internal messaging. It's like your relationship with your body and listening to its wisdom was part of the resilience as well. That's that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd have to say, you know, when I was looking back at uh, what, what the where I had to have my most resilience in my life, um, it was when I was doing my PhD and when I defended my PhD, and it's a it's a huge story, um, and and I'll just very briefly say, um, you know, everybody's PhD uh, d- defense is supposed to be a horror story, right? It's not supposed to be easy. It's a defense for a reason. But I really think mine took it up a level. Um, I had my, I took my PhD in uh, in Belgium, in Brussels, at University of Brussels. Um, and there's two defenses that you have to do. So one is public and one is with your jury. And when I went over there, I went over there with my parents, my boyfriend, my teenage daughter at the time, um, so that we could, I could defend uh, with my jury, defend then uh, publicly, and then celebrate. And what ended up happening is um, that it, it got uh, blocked by the dean 
of uh, psychology at that university because he didn't agree with international students and I was the first international student to go through his program. Um, and so he blocked it and they had to get um, a whole bunch of you know, lawyers and stuff involved to say he couldn't do that. But it ended up that I couldn't do my second defense. I couldn't do my public defense. Um, and so there all these all these issues were happening. And I felt like I just wanted to scream, but I, I felt like I had to be resilient in front of my daughter and show her adaptive coping. And I wasn't so sure screaming would be adaptive coping at that point. Uh, you know, not to mention screaming in a foreign country probably isn't a good idea. But then, uh, then they sorted it out and they actually, it worked out well because then they paid for my boyfriend and I to go back. They paid for the flight, they paid for an Airbnb, they, they gave us a per diem for food and, and travel and everything. Um, unfortunately, my parents and my daughter couldn't come with me. Um, but the day we were supposed to fly out for my second defense um, was the day of the Brussels airport bombings. Wow. Yeah, so, so then we had to like further delay it. So it was just like this, this yeah. constant um, yeah. pressure of, of trying to keep tapping into my resiliency and kind of yes. letting it happen and letting it flow. So it was a, um, it, I mean, I ended up successfully defending and we had a really great time in the end, but I would have to say that was the most trying time in my life. And, uh, and I was, I was saying that recently to, uh, to my boyfriend and he was like, really? Like, he, he didn't, he didn't understand how something like that would be so trying given other things that I've experienced in my life. So it's just interesting right. what, um, what taxes are personal resources, um, right. compared to others, right? You never know. It always has to be that person's story. What they say is the issue for them. Mm -hmm. Right. About that. Right. So. Yeah. And what I hear in that story is how long the process went on. As I'm thinking about this pandemic, some people at the beginning, they were fine. And then halfway through, they just felt like they were at their end. Now that we're going further and further, it's that, length of time to, to keep digging in and finding that resilience. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point. And Michael Unger, who um, is, is with Dalhousie University in Halifax, he's a resiliency uh, researcher or a guru, as I like to call him. And he, he gave a presentation a few weeks ago about the pandemic and resiliency. And he said, you know, when we, when we usually are dealing with um, resilience, when we need to be resilient, it's usually when um, you know there's stress in our lives, and it it's it's there for a while. It comes and goes, but then it it it, it releases like it's situational, like what I just described with my PhD, right? It didn't go on for years and years and years. Um, but what he says ends up happening with the pandemic is that it's always there, right? That that um, that stress is always there. So. Um, it's an issue then that that kind of we're not used to coping with and needing our resiliency uh, day in, day out like that for going on for a year like it is. So he says this is a new right. way of coping for all of us. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. What I appreciate about um, Dr. Unker's work is um, he focuses on not only the personal resilience we need, the grit and determination we need to make it through these things, but also the fact that we need to be you know, uh, resilient and vulnerable enough to reach out for resources. Someone can be as determined as they want, but if they don't have access to other resources around them, um, I, I, that has been very freeing for me to, in his yeah. work. Yeah, it took me a while to understand his definition of resiliency. I really didn't get it at first, uh, like years and years ago when it came out. 
But now when I understand it, it makes so much sense to me. And it really does apply to so many situations. So Michael Unger, I'll, I'll read his definition of resiliency, yeah. if that's okay. Yeah. So Michael yeah, that'd Unger, be awesome. Yeah. Okay. Michael Unger says, in the context of exposure to significant adversity, resiliency is both the capacity of individuals to navigate their way to the psychological, social, cultural, and physical resources that sustain their well-being and their capacity individually and collectively to negotiate for these resources to be provided in culturally meaningful ways. So what he's saying is that it in, that resiliency isn't just inside of us. It's not just individual, but it's something that also the community collectively that we can impact. So it's about providing ourselves and others with resources and opportunities to help build that resiliency. Further, um, the research out of positive psychology with Barbara Fredrickson's Broaden and Builds theory says that we can store our resiliency so that we can lean on it in times of adversity, right? So kind of like how we use food, right? We use food as fuel. And if we end up not having enough fuel, we can use our stores, right? We can use our fat stores and our resilient, our, our, our uh, food stores to help get us through uh, when we don't have enough fuel, right? And he says, uh, Barbara Fredrickson and Michael Unger say the same about the resiliency is that if we can really practice resiliency and, and kind of store it, um, then we can lean on it in times of adversity. And the way they say to, to to store it and to kind of get these excess, um, you know, resources of it is to really um, lean in and feel uh, joy and awe and gratitude and inspiration, you know, to, to, to find ways to improve being optimistic and things like that. So the more we can really be mindful in the moment and lean into those moments and value our relationships and being in nature and things like that, then that helps create those stores for resiliency. Wow, that's an excellent tip, like storing mm -hmm. up for the winter, storing up for tough times. That's, right? that's excellent. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, earlier, we talked a bit about your, your running. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to go into that story now about um, you dealing with the injuries of your running. Yeah, yeah. So I've had some really serious injuries uh, for the last five years with running. Um, it started when I had a milestone birthday and I thought it would be fun to run the Boston Marathon. Um, and yeah, and, and I also said, I don't know, maybe that won't be so much fun. We should probably plan a trip to Hawaii as well. <laughs> so we did that too. But I ended up, I, I qualified for Boston the first time I tried it. Um, and then I ran it, you know, a year after qualifying for it or so. Um, but in between that, I ended up getting a stress fracture in my foot, um, which takes over 12 weeks to heal. And then after two weeks getting off crutches, I dropped a barbell on the same foot in the same spot. And it no. didn't, I didn't break it, but definitely was another 12 weeks of healing. So I had to run the Boston Marathon um, without any training. You know, it was the first time in my life that I hadn't done any running for over six months. Um, and the doctor said, you know, you can run it if you go slow and walk some. Um, so if you're not worried about your time, then you can do that, which I thought, yeah, okay, I can do that, right? And so I did, and I had, you know, a slow time. And so that was a new thing for me was to uh, enjoy the race 
as opposed to worrying about uh, my time and where I placed compared to other people of my gender and of my age. Um, and, and so that was, a, that was a new experience for me and really valuable to be able to do that. Um, but then I ended up having other injuries uh, a little while later. I got hit by a car when I was on my bicycle couple years ago um, and I'm still dealing with some injuries from that every time I get running for more than a few months my gait is still off and I end up hurting something else got another stress fracture in my foot that bone didn't heal very well so I ended up with something called a vascular necrosis um, but caught it early so the bone didn't die um, but it did eventually heal um, and now I'm dealing I'm probably two months out of running again because I have a tendon issue and now back the other foot so it's just kind of constant um, and then I ended up getting a diagnosis um, that tells me my bones are quite um, poor and are at risk for fractures so this means I've had to totally change my game plan uh, for when I do return to running that my personal bests are in the past right so there's no more you know doing the same speed drills and the long sunday runs like i used to do and the and the frequent running um so it's really shifted how i will use uh some running and how i um how you see kind of your times and your personal best and how you always push yourself right it definitely is going to be more about leaning into the the enjoyment of it and now when i do get to run even if it's for a kilometer it, it's like a celebration it feels so good just to run that one kilometer right, right? Um, yeah 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 and and so throughout those injuries I also had to still find ways to be active and really move my body and find ways to be outside. And so I loved that challenge, um, especially in, in, at first in the first few injuries. Now, not so much, but you know, how do I swim with three limbs instead of four limbs, right? How do I use an exercise bike uh, when I've got one leg and one arm out, you know, um, and, and things like that. So it was interesting to kind of shake up my routine and still um, find it challenging to build muscle in the limbs that could handle some of that work or try and find doing cardio when you're down two limbs, right? <laughs> it's pretty hard right. to do, but um, I would find, I saw that as challenging and exciting as opposed to, um, you know, really grieving the restrictions and the limitations that I had. Right. So that seems to be a key. I keep that kind of a thread going through your story is that uh, the way you view challenges seems to be um, part of your resilience is that this isn't going to get to me. I'm going to find a way to get through this. And I'm kind of excited about trying to find a way to meet this challenge. Yeah. yeah, it probably ties yeah. into what I said about my family too, where it wasn't an option not to have that approach, right? <laughs> You'd get left behind. Right. So, yeah. Right. You once told me um, something about the way you thought about uh, resilience was sort of in buckets. Can you tell me about that bucket analogy again? Yeah, yeah. So, so the idea of buckets is more around self-care and resiliency. So we want to make sure that our resiliency isn't all in one bucket so that if that bucket is taken away, 
then we, we still have other ways to be resilient and take care of ourselves. So an example would be the running and being active, right? If the only way I knew how to take care of myself and be resilient was through running or through activity, then if I'm injured or if I um, get really sick, then I don't have that. So it's important for us to find ways to build resiliency in what I call different, different buckets. Um, and some of them, um, I'll just go through some of them here. So, so one of the buckets could be um, physical buckets, right? So how are we, you know, um, how are we using our body uh, to, to feel more resilient, to get stronger? How are we using our body to enjoy other things like outside or in relationships? And then there's an emotional bucket, right? And so how are we emotionally taking care of ourselves and being resilient? And if we are not getting enough sleep, then we are it's really hard to feel resilient right because your mind your brain isn't isn't working in the same way so we need sleep to recover emotionally and physically right i like to use the analogy of an ultra distance runner so if you knew a runner who was running 100 mile races several times a year you would say that they definitely have to physically recover in between those races and that they would need a lot of sleep um, especially in the week after the race, right? And we need to say the same about our um, emotional recovery uh, with sleep too. So anytime we are having a lot of distress, we definitely need to have lots of sleep to help us cope with that and recover from the, uh, from the distress that we're experiencing. So the next bucket is uh, psychological, right? So how are we psychologically being resilient and taking care of ourselves? How are we psychologically feeling strong and confident? Um, what's our sense of self-efficacy, right? How much we can impact uh, the world with, with what we're doing? Um, how strong are we in our identity? How sure are we of what we know about ourselves? Um, and how compassionate are we, right? Some, some of the things about self-compassion. So if we aren't taking care of ourselves and feeling resilient psychologically, then it's a lot harder for us um, to, uh, it, to, to recover from distress or adverse events that we're experiencing. Okay. Another bucket would be social, right? This is being around people who get you and having that sense of belonging, that sense of connectedness, being able to reach out and ask for help and being able to give help when we when we can as well right sharing laughter with others uh, building memories right during this pandemic i find um that that's what that's what brings me joy and hope in my heart is when i'm outside and i see families being really creative to still find ways to build memories and find ways to laugh together Right? I see that every day when I'm outside and it's like, yeah, you go, <laughs> you know, it's excellent. Yeah. Um, and, and then of course there's spiritual um, self-care and spiritual forms of resiliency, right? So if we are not taking the time for self-reflection and self-awareness, if we're not feeling connected to something bigger than ourselves, if there's not something that makes us feel like just decent human beings grounded on earth um, and that we're making a difference in the world, then it's going to be a lot harder for us to feel resilient and to take care of ourselves. Right? And so the, so I'm not saying you have to go to church, um, but these are things like even, uh, although that works too, um, but things like volunteering, right, and giving and helping others can, uh, can make a big difference as well. 
And then there's a couple yeah. other buckets as well. There's um, a professional bucket where um, we, we can have resiliency in our professional life, making sure there's a life work balance, making sure we're increasing our knowledge and not feeling stuck um, or, or that we're not making a difference in our jobs um, and making sure that um, we have connections and relationships in our workplace as well. It's not just uh, in our personal lives, but we, those professional relationships are really critical as well. And again, the pandemic has been um, a test for us to try and really focus on uh, those professional relationships and to maintain them because we're not kind of doing the same type of meet and greets uh, in person and bumping into each other face to face, right? Yeah. Right. And then I yeah. also think I also think resiliency can come from financially. I think financial it could be another bucket, right? And so this is being this is about being aware of your expenses and your investments, right? Uh, there's so many people who don't know how much money they make in their paycheck, how much tax they pay, uh, keeping track of any investments they have, right? And so this is this is uh, something that we would call like responsibility when it comes to the financial end, or what my daughter calls being an adult, right? She, she's always like, oh, I hate this being an adult and she's 21 and she's still like so so how does the taxes work and what does it mean when you know so why do i have to fill up my income tax form and you know just kind of figuring all the stuff out what she calls being an adult right we have to take care of these things yourself yeah right yeah well that bucket analogy is so clear it is just a a wonderful way i find myself very often sort of in the mental bucket if I could just figure it all out, if I could sit and think about it and make a plan and all of that kind of thing. And then some of the other buckets get a little empty. So it's very, right. a clear way of planning right. to daily or weekly, making sure right. that you've attended to each bucket at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I do find we yeah. lean, we kind of hang out in two or three of those buckets, uh, you know, 90% of the time, which, yeah. you know, again, you want to look at, you don't want to make all the buckets even because I don't think that would make for a happy and satisfied life. But we definitely want to see if we want to increase the others. And of course, if you don't, that's okay, right? We don't want to force that. But you do want to look at if that bucket was taken away from me, how much uh, am I going to have from the other buckets and how satisfying will that be to me, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so let's talk about your psychological bucket um, a little bit here about um, your view, your view of yourself. I think one of the resources uh, that I have found useful for me is uh, noticing and sort of expressing gratitude to myself for strengths that I do have. And so I'm wondering if you could reflect as a teacher, when I used to be a guidance counselor and a teacher, students found this question very difficult where we're raised sort of not to toot our own horn. But I would love to know what you think one of your strengths are that has helped you in the area of resilience. Um, I, I think what I feel and what people have told me they find um, kind of striking about my approach to life is my approach to adversities. Um, and again, what I was saying about when those relationships end or when I'm injured, how I see, you know, each, each adversity that comes into my life, it's not like I don't acknowledge the, the turmoil with it or the grief, but despite the challenges and despite the losses that it brought, I try and find the good. I keep the good and I find what it, it, how something has enhanced my life and then I let go of the rest. So it's post-traumatic growth theory is, is the is kind of the label for some of that. Um, but then it's also about letting go of the rest and it's about uh, forgiveness and being able to move on for that. 
So I have no regrets um, about some of the things that people have done to me in the past that have been very, very hurtful, um, especially in relationships um, and as shocking as some of them were or as disappointing and, and you know, dealing with, with rejection and, and hurt and everything else. Um, you know, I've, I've still been able to just forgive, move on, uh, forgive myself for some of it as well um, and deal with it that way. There's a, there's a famous quote that I really love and it says, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the enemy to dry, to die. Okay? Mm. Resentment is like drinking poison mm. and waiting for the enemy to die. So it's, I ask, why do we want to carry this negativity around, right? Um, but then a lot of people will ask me, well, how do you let it go? Like, I don't know how to let it go. Um, and we know that positive psychology has a lot to offer for strategies for letting it go, right? Things like mindfulness, being able to visualize something and release it, um, self-compassion, right? Again, as much as I was angry at some of these other things that people did to me, I had a role in some of it too, right? Or sometimes you have to forgive yourself. If you don't have a role, you still have to forgive yourself um, for anything that you're, that you're sometimes feeling um, that, that may have you know, contributed to, to being in situations. So um, yeah, yeah, I think that's um, being able to forgive yourself and being kind to yourself makes a big difference. Yeah, I can see those threads again through our conversation and what I know about you those strengths, I can see that very, very clearly. Now, I wonder if you look outside yourself, what resources do you find that are outside of you? Like resources um, that I rely on, like from my community, like collectively? Right, but to, to, to kind of, yeah, to, yeah, 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 fitting, fitting with the definition of resiliency, right, that we've been talking yeah. about. Yeah, 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 more of the collective pieces. Oh my goodness, um, there's so many, so many. Um, so I have, I have beautiful relationships uh, in my life with my family. I treasure the relationship I have with my daughter. Um, she actually thinks I'm a good mom, which is, um, I mean, it's so, it's such a, such a treasure to hear that, right? I mean, now she will, she will tell you all the things I did that are wrong and that she doesn't like, and they're there, you know, they're there. Uh, but I have a really close relationship with my daughter, uh, with my friends, with my family, with my boyfriend, and I really treasure that. Um, but I also live in this incredible community. I have lived in Waterloo Region, Ontario, my entire life. And I love to travel, love to leave the city, but this is one hell of a city to live in as far as resources and opportunities go uh, for all people. Now, I also know that I am, uh, I'm a white woman and have had um, a, a salary my entire life that has afforded me um, a decent lifestyle. And I acknowledge that that's not there for everybody. So as much as the community has been really good for me, um, the community isn't always good for racialized people or where there's equity differences. And um, I think we as a community, all members of community need to try and make that a difference, right? We need to try and make a difference if that, with that and try and um, kind of eliminate systems that might be creating some of that, those equity differences. So I feel like it's hard for me to talk about some of my own privileges and some of this, you know, this collective um, resiliency that have, has benefited me without acknowledging that some of it was because of my race, right? Um, and, and, and because of my family and the situation I was in there with, you know, being, having lots of resources and opportunities. Um, but I was also a woman too. And so that has um, created situations where I may not have had the same resources and opportunities 
in my life as if I would have been a male. And so again, I feel like I've been blessed in this community and in my family with having really strong female role models and mentors in my life to help me uh, learn how to move forward um, and how to deal with uh, gender bias in a way without, um, I don't know, without uh, further harming the situation, I guess is a way to put it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's powerful. I, I agree um, that we um, have both been privileged and things came easier. Since the Black Lives Movement uh, March last June, the resources coming out of Waterloo Region, though, has been exceptional. Um, online um, teaching resources, webinars, and that kind of thing. And I've been so grateful um, to have those resources that I wouldn't otherwise have, have had. So thank you yeah. for sharing that. Um, one of the things that is resources I get are inspirational stories about other people. So I really want to thank you for sharing your story with me um, because that's where sometimes I get my inspiration to keep going and my determination is, is hearing from other people. So if you do have any last minute advice that you would give to somebody who is going through this pandemic again, kind of still riding the waves of grief and gratitude and um, really struggling maybe would you give any advice for them? Yeah, well, following up on what we were just talking about, um, are there any mentors or role models um, who see the potential in you or who you can tap into, even if it's virtually someone online, who can help uh, inspire you um, and help you build strategies or new ways of being to deal with these adversities in your life, right? Can you look at what strategies are they using? Um, what's their mindset and approach? Can you use any of it to generate something that might work for you, right? There's no shame in copying people when it comes to this. You know, we don't have to we don't have to generate our own our own things, but just look online or look in your family, look look at you know in the field who inspires you. And how are they approaching a situation or a skill or, you know, something similar that you're dealing with? The other thing is self-compassion and asking, what do I need right now? Right? Just pausing and reflecting, right? The loving kindness practice um, is really valuable for this. And just reminding us that we all do face adversities and that we learn and grow from this. Um, but asking, what do I need right now to help me through this and how often do we forget to pause and we just keep plowing through right we just keep dealing with the distress we just keep coping and and you know trying to to be enough and find enough without pausing and saying what do i really need right yeah. um yeah and then i guess the other advice would be um that there's there's research around how to flourish there's research around um, what to do when you're feeling like you're just languishing and you're not being resilient. Um, and and uh, Martin Seligman's approach to this, he's got, um, you know, uh, pathways basically for resiliency. And I would say just to kind of look into some of those and to find which one grabs you, right? Is it about building stronger relationships? Is it finding something that you're really engaged in and that helps you lose a sense of time? Like, like music or, or being in nature, uh, you know, how do you build more positive emotions and really lean into love and joy and gratitude and, you know, feelings of hope. So when, when you have those glimmers of them, how do you, how do you expand them and hold on to them and possibly even um, store them 
uh, for, for future, future use. And then also what brings meaning to your life and what, it, what, what gives you a sense of accomplishment and can those be increased, right? So again, those are pathways for resiliency is having that sense of self-efficacy, that sense of accomplishment and doing things that bring you meaning, right? I know people, there's people um, that I've worked with and people in my life, um, they really struggle with finding meaning and having a sense of accomplishment and uh, they get stuck in depression and in anxiety uh, in part because there's not something that really grabs them and brings meaning to their life. Um, and then because of the depression, it's really hard to get up and go out and find that. But when they do, it's amazing to watch how they flourish in it, right? It's amazing to watch how they went from not being able to get out of bed for weeks or months or years, finding something that grabs them and um, not like they don't still struggle with the depression, but then it just really seems to... Um, bring some life out in them, right? Right. Well, that's powerful. That's a really uh, good piece of advice is looking for the meaning. That, that's yeah. really great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I want to thank you for everything that you've said today. I've been um, so inspired by the storing up. Like that's well, that was a new one to me, storing up the resilience. The self-care buckets is also something that I have been, since we talked last, been working on um, taking care of. Um, and then the advice you've just given here now about reaching out for meaning, reaching out to others who inspire you. Like I have a coach and a therapist and plus my family and, you know, I, I couldn't do, I couldn't do it alone on my own, no matter how much determination I have. So right. I am so grateful uh, for your inspiration. I'm grateful for the thread that runs through your life that uh, challenges will not keep you down. There's something to look into and to learn from and grow from. So I just want to thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Danette. It's been lovely to, to talk to you and, and connect with you again. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much and stay well. <laughs>